Welcome to episode 48 of Beards, Business, and Balls, presented by Anchor. Go to anchor.fm or download the Anchor app to get started today. Today is Tuesday, April 27th. I'm Jake Zimmer. He's Will Tondo. A lot of stuff going on, partner. The NFL draft is upcoming. Baseball's in full swing. And basketball is heading for the playoffs. It's going to be a couple of fun weeks in sports. Yes, no. Sports are in full swing. I mean, NHL playoffs, basketball playoffs are coming up. Baseball, the best time of the year. You know, screw the April bullshit. May is when baseball (laughs) really comes to fold. Screw the April bullshit. That's the first time I've heard that. I know. NFL draft, it's it's a fun time in sports, and we're here to cover all of it, as well as give you just more beer and business, because that's not what many people are talking about. Yeah, no, I um, I agree. I'm I'm pretty excited for the NFL draft. Actually, this is one of the first that I've I've kind of followed from start to finish, and there's a lot there's a lot of drama that's I think yet to be had. Obviously, you know Trevor Lawrence is going first, and then you know a couple other quarterbacks at the top. But it's kind of just up in the air in terms of what's next, pretty much, which is really cool. Yeah, no, there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of stuff going on, but you know just. Waiting for it to unfold and looking forward to seeing what happens. Yeah, we've got Scott Greenberg this week, and Scott has he's pretty much on his way to one of the more interesting business models that we've really seen out of anybody that we've interviewed so far. Um, Scott Greenberg founded Starstock. He's only a couple of years older than us. Starstock is the number one way to trade your cards, and we get into the weeds with him uh, a little bit later on in terms of how he built his business, the opportunity that he saw. And honestly, if you asked me last year, you know, starting a business based on trading cards, you know, probably probably would have got laughed at as Scott talks about. But now, I mean, it's a trend. You see on Twitter, Instagram, all this stuff, people doing card pulls. I mean, Phil Hughes, the former pitcher, has made his living on that now pretty much. He's pulling cards and interacting with his fans on YouTube and stuff. And and trading cards really are the way of the future. Yeah, no, I mean, especially with the pandemic, everyone, you know, dug through their their attics, their basements, they found cards. I mean, we have a box of cards that are sitting in our office right now, the podcast studio, that I have no I have no idea what the hell they're worth. Yeah. And a lot of the questions in this interview was, you know, not only for you as the listener to understand the business, but it was also as me, the consumer, to be like, what do I have sitting underneath my mattress right now? And how much can I get for it? Like, what is the worth for that? So we hope you, you know, maybe get some inspiration from it, whether it's on a business side or as, you know, even in just your own personal collectings being like, oh shit, like I have some money that I can make and this is good. This could be a good service to you. So Scott offered a lot of great stuff in his business model and uh, it's interesting to see. Yeah, really cool stuff. Uh, Starstock was invested in by NBA all-star Trey Young which is really cool. Twitch co-founder Justin Kahn, the COO of BetMGM Ryan Spoon, and Ilka Pananen, the co-founder of Supercell. So that's a lot of money. Altogether, it's $10 bucks. We talk about Scott pitching it to these people and getting uh, or spreading the good word, if you will, about Starstock. So uh, stick around for that. Let's review some beer as we always do. We are drinking it live. We don't drink a lot of live beer. Yeah, no, cool. we got to get back into drinking live. <laughs> Um, it kind of just depends on when we record and being together and stuff and, and what's in the Monday fridge. Here we are, I guess. It's right? a Monday night. We just got <laughs> off a recording of a future guest, which you'll see in the near future. So this kind of a blast in the past, but he provided us some great beers. So we're already feeling ourselves. So we might as well, you know, keep <laughs> continuing it. 
and also we were reorganizing our apartment. Um, so found a lot of new beers and nooks and crannies. And I found one from our trip to New Hampshire. I guess we bought a ton of beer out there. And <laughs> from, I guess we bought a ton of beer out there. <laughs> I mean, I know we did, but now it's guessing on like, oh, should we actually have it? But this is Granite Roots Brewing. Um, I'm drinking face plant into the rocks, literally, because it's a Belgian triple, 10%. Uh, Granite, Granite Roots is out of Troy, New Hampshire. And this is a well-balanced ale using Belgian yeast and Hallertau blind hops, which I've never heard of. So I'll have to do some more research on that. But it's a clean malt flavor, slight bitterness, and a touch of coriander to finish dry. Uh, smooth yet powerful, and it absolutely is. I mean, the name speaks for itself, face plant into the rocks, because if you chug a couple of these, you are going to face plant into the rocks. Strong, strong triple. Um, wish it had a little bit more flavor. Uh, it kind of just gives you that straight hop to the tongue. It's very, very powerful. It's still smooth, don't get me wrong, but it's, I mean, again, when you get into these doubles and triples and even quadruples, which some breweries are, you know, experimenting with, it's like, you know what you're into. It's like, they oh, are- you're going to have like one of those and be yeah, pretty much, you're going to be drinking light beer the rest of the day. They're very, very strong. You know, it's hard to, you know, give fruity, fruity flavors or like just less- harsh flavors when you're packing this much alcohol in it i'm giving it a three five still very enjoyable it's not a it's not a bad beer but you know once once you start seeing triples it's like eh you know i, I might have to take a back seat on this and just have one yeah very strong beer what do we know what it is like percentage wise 10.2 10.2 yeah it tastes like it honestly yeah and that's the thing it's like when you're tasting these beers it's like oh i can taste the notes that they're talking about or it's like oh i can taste the percentage i'm tasting the percentage it's a percentage there yeah i just said a couple of sips beforehand with you and it's like it's that that's a percentage um you know not my cup of tea personally i i will drink those in the right circumstances but that's not you know something i'm reaching for necessarily yeah um, good all things considered you got to respect the craft though good work from grand roots though. i mean exactly that's what they're definitely looking for it's like you're not going to offer a triple to be like i hope you te you taste the notes of rose petal and <laughs> and and orange peel it's like that? no you know you're you get to the point where you're just pronouncing teas yeah that. you're just you're <laughs> literally just tasting the percentage yeah, no, I, I gotcha. It's 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 strong. That's for sure. If nothing else, it's strong. Um, I will take things in New Hampshire as well. We just cracked open a couple of New Hampshire beers, and I will go to the 603 Brewery. Very good, very good brewing company, too, all things considered. They, they distribute a lot in, like, northern Massachusetts, southern New Hampshire, and obviously all across New Hampshire and Vermont. Um they do a nice seltzer too. We we had that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, loved their seltzer. They serve them in sixteen ounce cans too, which no seltzer company does. I am going to review Common Man IPA, Dry Hopped IPA, and I'm going to read you the description on Untapped, coming right from six hundred three. Dominated by citrus and florist nodes, floral nodes with a hint of white pepper and lively carbonation. I'd probably concur. I'll take one more sip just to verify. Okay. I get a very like bready feel almost from this. Um, it, it's less flavorful than I like in an IPA. But all things considered, I mean, not too bad. Uh, this is like an IPA that you 
you can, you don't really want to drink when it's too hot out because like when it's hot out 90, you know, 85, 90 degrees, you're sitting outside. I want something that's like fruity, right? Mm-hmm. I want like orange. I want like mango, that kind of stuff. Guava IPAs are the new trend. Um, this is good if you're hanging out. Like honestly, what we're doing now, this is a fine beer to drink. Um, not too heavy. It's like six and a half percent. I'll give it three five on this. I've got to be more more aggressive on my beer ratings because I, you know, every time I have an, an average IPA, I'm like, yeah, you know, three seven five or four. That's not what that's for, right? The three seven five and four is for like really good beers. Um, this isn't a really good beer. Common Common Man IPA is good, but it's not really good. So give me a three five on that. Common Man IPA. Um, you can get that at most New Hampshire liquor stores. The Common Man is a convenience store in New Hampshire, and they had really good chips, really good like homemade snacks, things like that. New Hampshire Wine and Liquor we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Will, and it's like that place shouldn't exist. No, it makes it makes <laughs> like tax-free alcohol, beer, liquor, wine. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, let's go into our interview now. Uh, we did beers. We will talk about a great business story in Scott Greenberg from Starstock. Graduated Syracuse back in 2017. Had a couple of failed business ideas and then finally realized what his calling was and you know what um, you know there, there was a hole in the market and Scott really had a great plan to to go and execute and um, really just take advantage of a group of people that um, you know had a passion and or have a passion that is and make some money off of it. Starstock, a marketplace for sports fans and card hobbyists to buy, sell, and invest in their favorite athletes. They just did an $8 million Series A funding round to continue to fuel the company's growth plans in the thriving sports card market because it really is thriving right now. NFTs, all that stuff we talk about with Scott as well. So let's bring him in. It's Scott Greenberg from Starstock. All right, everybody. With us this week, we have the founder and CEO of Starstock, Scott Greenberg, currently in New York City, maybe a golf course. We can't tell with the Zoom background, but Scott, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No, we appreciate it. Uh, highly anticipated guests. You know, we've been in contact for a couple of weeks now. Uh, you know, first and foremost, before we dive into what Starstock is, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Scott Greenberg? Oh man. Um, you know, I'm a sports fanatic, uh, entrepreneur, um, huge basketball fan. I love basketball. I love golf. Those are like my two biggest passions watching and playing. Um, grew up a really big card collector. Uh, I think like a, you know, a lot of sports fans, um, and, uh, put it down when I got to my teenage years, I'd say. And then about three years ago, reignited my passion um, and have been collecting, trading, investing ever since. And about a year and a half ago, we launched Starstock. Nice. Now, I would imagine, you know, the conversations we have with especially entrepreneurs, they had no idea that they'd end up in the spot that they're in. So what was it for you that was the dream? Was it originally to be an athlete? Was it to go into business and have a long career? You know, what did you want to do when you grew up? Yeah, it was a short-lived dream of wanting to be an athlete. I think um, I think I realized pretty early on I was one of the shortest kids in my class. I, I think I I I, uh, I realized in elementary school that that wasn't happening. Um, I know the pain, man. It's it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> those were tough days. I got over it. 
Um, but I always knew I wanted to do something in sports. Uh, I wanted to be connected with athletes and I wanted to uh, do something that would allow me to maybe get a, a, you know, a courtside seat to a game or something. And so I just always wanted to be around sports. That's always been, you know, a dream of mine. So before you got into Starstuck, you know, you're an entrepreneur at heart and you actually started a business prior. Uh, what were some of the concept and ideas you've had prior to Starstock? Um, man, a ton. <laughs> a ton, a ton failed, a ton that, you know, I spent hours, you know, building out plans, never, you know, never actually brought them into fruition. Um, I launched uh, Pivot uh, my senior year of college. That's uh, a, a, a a community app for relocated employees, specifically expats, to get advice on the new city they're moving to. Um, I launched that with my sister. We started it in uh, 2017, the end of 2016, actually. Um, and, you know, learned so much at my three years there. Uh, we failed numerous times. We had, you know, a few success stories as well. Ultimately in 2019 though, um, you know, I was, I was just itching to do something in sports. And so I was tossing around a lot of different concepts in my head. And it was right around the time that I got back into sports cards and I was buying all my cards on eBay and there was just so much friction. And so for me, like I'm a millennial sports fan. I, I grew up uh, in an era where you can set your fantasy football lineup two seconds before the game starts. We're placing sports bets from our phone, wherever we are in the world, it doesn't matter. And so I got into cards as a way to flip players and, and trade them almost like their stocks, but waiting two weeks for the cards to show up in the mail, uh, it just didn't make any sense to me. And I wanted that instant gratification. Um, and so that that's basically how we came up with the concept for star stock. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about star stock in a second here too. Um, you made a, an interesting point just now. You said you failed a lot. Uh, in those first couple of years of starting new businesses and things like that. But as we know, every great idea comes from failure. So what were some of the lessons you learned from just colossal failures that you had early on and how are you applying them now? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'd say with, with Pivot, uh, you know, the first company I started, when we created our first version of the product, we weren't fully sure what our target market was going to be. We thought it might be expats. We thought it could be business travelers, anyone going to a new city, but we weren't hyper-focused. Um, and that was a big mistake because we ended up, our first iteration of that product was a product that actually none, none of those markets wanted. Um, and we figured that out pretty fast. I'd say with Starstock, um, I've definitely taken that lesson and applied it, especially in the first like year or so when we were building out the product and creating the company. Um, we did just an insane amount of testing, tested different beta products, um, you know, doing, you know, uh, user interviews with, with people that were in the market to really make sure that we were launching a product that people wanted. Um, and so that's, that's something that I learned the hard way that has really helped me um, here at Starstock. Yeah, let's get into the juice now. Starstock, your, your newest project. So, um, described as a new marketplace for sports card buyers and sellers um, with the with the, the subtitle, I guess, if you will. Bulk ship your cards to our vault, buy and sell instantly with exceptionally low fees. So, so tell us about it. Give us the elevator pitch of Starstock and why should every person that's trading cards um, be, be using your platform? Yeah, so I'm a big, you know, I used to be a really big fantasy football player and a big sports better. 
Um, I still play fantasy sports. I don't really bet anymore. I actually moved my whole entire sports betting budget over to sports cards. Um, and this, you know, this started around two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, I just, I, I actually, the, the story that, that kind of brought cards to my attention was I saw the price of a Patrick Mahomes rookie card before his 2018 season to afterwards. And I was like, holy crap. Um, if you're like a really big college sports fan, like I am, you could potentially use some of that insight to prospect first, second, and third year athletes that you think might be undervalued. And so I'm more of a basketball guy than a football guy. So I was doing this for basketball, just buying up, you know, players, you know, hundred cards at a time. Um, and you know, was holding on to them until it was the perfect time to flip, you know, maybe it was their first 30 point performance, maybe. Um, it was when they got named the rookie of the year or to the all rookie team um, and just noticed that there is so much friction on eBay when you were doing it, like tons of research, got to figure out, you know, what a fair price is, which is really hard because there's no like sales history on there. Um, and then your bot, you know, if you wanted to make a 100 share, you know, 100 card investment in a specific player, you're doing them all in individual transactions. And then you're waiting for them all to show up at your doorstep two, uh, two weeks later, a week and a half later. And then when you're ready to sell, you have to go through that whole entire process again. And when your cards sell, you're printing out a shipping label. And really like the, uh, the final straw was when I started uh, knowing my, my post office guy on a first name basis because I was in there. <laughs> I was like, all right, this is, this is getting out of hand. And so what we wanted to do was basically what we realized was for people like me and, and my two partners as well, that were also getting back into the space, we didn't actually need possession of the cards. And in a lot of ways, that was just a liability for us. You can get it lost, stolen, your house burns down, the cards are going down with it. Um, so we separated ownership and possession. All of our cards that are inside uh, on our website are in a, a vault in New Hampshire that's uh, backed by security and insurance. And we have a digital representation of every single card in your account um, on Starstock. And so you're able to carry your card collection around you, you know, on your phone or your computer. So it's at your fingertips at all time. And you can list a card to the market and you can sell it with, with no work. You don't need to ship the card afterwards. You're just instantly trading these players. And so the goal is for it to feel like a stock market because you're just trading athletes rather than cards. So can consumers actually get the physical product to them? Yes. Yep. So at any, you know, at any time you can get a card shipped out. Um, it's just not a part of the default transaction process. So you, you buy a card and it goes into your collection and we're not taking you to a screen for you to ship it out, but you can then go to that card in your, in your collection and request for it to get shipped out. Oh, very interesting. And now what about from the seller standpoint? So say if, you know, I have a box of cards that I found in my attic, I don't really know or understand the value to them. I know, you know, just from being an everyday sports fan, I can look and be like, okay, I have some all-stars. I have some MVPs. I have some, you know, phenomenal rookies in that actual year. How can a, you know, seller or someone just who has these cards find the value and what do they do with them from there uh, regarding in relation to, uh, you, you know, your, your services? Yeah, it's a great question. So we record all of our sales history on our site. So you can go to a specific player and you can see every single transaction and you can see the chart that shows you how it's trending. Wow. Um, and so that's a useful way to see, you know, that's a price discovery tool that allows you to see if you're selling at a fair price or if you're buying at a fair price. Um, and so that's really handy. In terms of actually submitting cards, you can send us one individual card. You can send us 
20,000 cards at a time, put it in one box, one shipment over to us. We process them all. And then you'll get a notification that all of your cards were just uploaded in, into your collection. And then you can go from there and you can list those cards for sale or you can just keep them in your collection. Nice. I think, you know, these are some questions you had written out, Will, but I think, you know, the, the trading card market in general, right? We, we've seen a, a total explosion and with these NFTs, which I'm sure we'll talk about eventually in this interview, um, you know, we, we've seen this industry really take off in different ways too. So from your perspective as an entrepreneur in the space, as somebody that's creating a product where none existed before, how different has this trading card market been over the last year or so maybe with, uh, with the pandemic going on, with people more time on their hands? And a follow-up to that would be, how can people understand what they've got? Like how, how do consumers look at their cards and say, you know, I think this might be worth some value here? Yeah, that's, um, that's a really great question. So, you know, obviously I'm bullish on the market. We were bullish two years ago when we started the company. We knew that sports cards were coming back we didn't know it was going to happen that fast. I mean, the pandemic just accelerated things like crazy. Um, you know, us sports fans, we were looking for something to do, especially the first, you know, three to six months, we needed some form of sports entertainment and, you know, watching like European ping pong, wasn't going to do it anymore. You know, <laughs> after a couple of weeks. Of that. European so, ping pong and the KBO for the yeah. most part. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so, you know, I think a lot of people got into card breaks, which is a, you know, a, a really fun, you know, form of sports entertainment where you're watching someone open up packs of cards. It's super exciting and exhilarating. Um, I also think a lot of people just had extra time to go through their attic or to go through their basement and find their old cards. Um, and so it was just like the perfect mixture of a bunch of different factors, I think. Um, in terms of people that are going through their collections right now, you know, I'd say that the first thing is like identify which players are actually good. Um, people, you know, for the most part care about the good players and the memorable ones, uh, you know, the seventh or eighth best player on, on, you know, the championship team in 1970, whatever, you know, those cards aren't worth much, but if you do have a, an all-star or a hall of famer, they, they perhaps could be, um, I'd say the first thing to do is to, you know, you can check star stock. Um, we currently are only a, a marketplace for current athletes. I guess actually, you know, we haven't announced this yet, but as of tomorrow morning, we'll be, uh, we'll be in, in vintage. We'll be accepting vintage cards on our site too. Cool. So we're getting into that space. So hopefully in a, a few weeks, you can actually research your vintage cards on Starstock as well. Um, but there's other platforms that, that you can look up where you can find pricing history for those. Um, and then, the other thing that you'd need to figure out is the quality of the card. Um, you can have, you know, a, what they call a raw card, which is what a card looks like when it comes out of a pack. You can have one that's in great condition that might be worth a thousand dollars, let's say. And if you get one small ding on the corner or on the surface of the card, it's all of a sudden worth $25. Um, and so the second aspect is trying to figure out what the conditioning looks like. And they have third parties that will actually verify and give it a one through 10 score based on how good the card looks. Um, once you know what card you have and you have your condition, you have your grade, then you can look up what the price goes for on Starstock or on you know other sites. Card Ladder is a, a popular one that people use as well. 
So, I mean, you clearly have found your niche market. There is, there is a business for this indeed. Um, you know, we looked at the numbers and currently Starstock has over 800,000 cards in the vault and over 600,000 cards have been traded. Um, and you're adding nearly 50,000 cards to the marketplace weekly. So clearly the fruits of your labor are paying off. Um, clearly enough to have you secure a Series A funding for over $8 million. Um, how incredible was that feeling? I mean, you you know, you said it's been two years. Did you expect to see this kind of investment that early? Or did you kind of have a growth strategy? Like, you know, this is something we can see in year five or year three, but right off the bat like that, how cool was that feeling? It's a great feeling. Um, you know, it's, it's exciting. You know, the best part is that we're working with partners that we're just super excited to be working with. Um, and so that, that's, you know, that's the part, best part about all of this is that our team just got a lot stronger. Um, you know, for us, we've just always been focused on the product. It's always about the product and the customer and the, you know, our, our mindset is like, if we're, if we're focused on that and we're doing a good job, then the money will come, like they'll come find us. Um, and so that's, that's really always been our focus here, but it does, uh, it does feel good to bring on some partners like Andreessen Horowitz and Trey Young and, you know, Ryan Spoon and, and, and a bunch of others. So we're excited about that. Yeah, it's awesome. And then you're, that, that obviously brings your, your company's funding to over 10 million bucks, which is, you know, in, in the, the trading card market, that's phenomenal to have a lot of capital like that too. Um, I'm curious to hear what the process of pitching cards, basically. Say it again. It's just two Mickey Mantle cards. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Or some kind of whatever Honus Wagner goes for these days. Yeah. But um, yeah, curious to hear what the process of pitching Starstock to these folks was too, because I, I would imagine that you had some sort of connection where you had to, you know, maybe it was, wasn't the, the actual folks, but you know, it was Trey Young, the NBA all-star, obviously the Twitch co-founder, Justin Kahn, um, BetMGM, COO, Ryan Spoon, a few other of those folks. Did you get the opportunity to meet them and, and actually pitch them what you're working on? Um, and if so, I would love to hear more about it. So I think the best and worst part about uh, starting a business during the pandemic is you're not meeting with anyone. They're all Zoom calls. So in some scenarios, it sucks because like, obviously I'd love to meet all those guys in person. Sometimes it's super convenient. You know, you're just sitting at one desk all day and you can do everything that you want. So haven't had the, the opportunity to meet with any of, of, of them quite yet. Um, but hopefully soon, uh, in, in terms of, you know, pitching star stock, uh, you know, we, we, I'll say this, I mean, the conversations that we had two years ago, the average response we'd get back when we were, you know, going out for our seed round was, what are you talking about sports cards? Like, mm. you, um, fast forward two years and you're getting, you know, now I'm getting cold messages every single day from people that just want to invest in a sports card company. They honestly don't, might not even care which one it is. They just know the market's going crazy. Um, and so it's definitely, the landscape's a lot different now. And it just in terms of the awareness of, of the industry. Um, and I think you combine the, the industry growth with our, um, our numbers, which, were really, which are really good. Uh, you know, we, we have a sticky product that people really like. And I think investors saw that. So what's the future look like? You know, what do the next couple months look like? The next couple of years, where do you see your company and brand going? Yeah. So the goal is to just build out an athlete stock market. That's our vision. Um, we want to, uh, you know, build a platform that people are pulling up on their phones on Sunday afternoons when they're sitting on a couch and watching games 
and you know, a platform where they can actually engage and interact. Um, and so that that's really the vision in terms of, you know, the next several months, we need to scale our team up. Uh, we went from getting, you know, uh, maybe five, 10, 15,000 cards a, a week in November to anywhere between 50 and 100,000 cards a week. And so um, we, we need to really, you know, scale up our team to keep up with some of the demand. Um, and then just like continuing to build out the product. Um, we have a lot that we want to do inside of the product that we haven't gotten to yet. We want to build out a mobile app, which we think will be a game changer for us. And so those are the, the two areas of focus right now. So what are your thoughts on NFTs? The hard hitting question. The hard hitting question. I mean, I mean, that's as, that's as much as we know, <laughs> NFTs and non-fungible tokens. I mean, every day I kind of see something, it's like, oh, that one's worth $5 million and it's a picture of a pink painting. Like yeah. I, Scott, we talk about this probably every week on the show. And someone has we, some relation yeah. to it and it's still, no one knows what it is. No one knows why it's valuable, but people are buying it. The technology behind it's so interesting. It's fascinating to me. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, in terms of, you know, what else, what is out there right now, I think a lot of people are just trying to figure it out. There's some really, really cool projects. There's some projects that, you know, come across my Twitter feed and I, I just don't understand them. Um, but it's, the technology is really exciting. Um, and I, I think the next few years, it's going to be exciting to see some of the products that are built off this. I think there's going to be some really, really, really big businesses built on top of this technology. Just offhand too, be, given the nature of your business being more of the, the hard sports cards, right? It's, you know, physical product. I would imagine that in one way or another, for better or for worse, probably has some implications on what you guys are building too. So um, what do you think? Anything jump out that you guys know you're going to have to adapt to over these next couple of years, just in, in, the, uh, in light of the recent kind of changes to this market? I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're super focused here. Like we're focused on what we're doing. We're not going to necessarily, you know, turn away and, and uh, gravitate towards the shiny thing at the moment, but we are actively doing research and playing with all the products and, um, and, you know, trying to learn as much as possible. Um, Cause it's certainly interesting. Uh, but we're, we've always been fascinated by combining digital and physical that's kind of what we like to do and we feel like we have a model where we're pulling the best parts of a physical product like the store of value um and we are pulling the best parts of of a digital product uh product which is like the the easiness of, of trading it and we're we're kind of merging them together so we you know we really like where we're at right now um and are definitely focused on on the you know our our model that we have at the moment I feel like the the that might almost complement each other, you know, the the physical hard cards versus the the digital non-fungible tokens, right? I feel like, you know, it's not necessarily a, a situation where one's going to take off and the other will will lag behind. I feel like, you know, as you mentioned, we've seen a a massive change in the the industry lately. So, I guess who's to say that who's to say that those won't grow at the same time pretty much, right? Yeah, I think they can both lift each other up. I mean, like you know, this, a, a big part of this NFT boom, in my opinion, is piggybacking on top of, you know, what's, what's been going on in the collectible space and, and a lot, you know, sports cards in particular over the past six, 12 months. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that the, the, uh, you know, physical and digital will both exist 
um, and can both strive together. So tying back in, you know, the entrepreneurial side of this, what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs that were in similar situations that you were once, you know, we already touched upon upon the failure side and, you know, continuing with different ideas till you find something that fits, but what advice do you have on just anybody that's had a similar situation that you were in? Yeah. I mean, you just, you got to not be afraid to fail. Um, everybody fails and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure even the best entrepreneurs still fail as well. Um, you know, it's just a part of, uh, you know, if you want to build something great, you're going to have to fail until you figure out how to not fail anymore. And, and, uh, you know, on that journey, there will be many like micro failures on your way to success. And, you know, we, we, we certainly haven't, uh, hit that point yet where we feel like we're a really big success, but, um, we're going to keep on working our asses off every day. And so I'd say just not being afraid to fail and being really consistent, just going at it every day. It's great advice for, for anybody, I think in all forms of life. Yeah, with um, exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's talk some fun questions now. Um, you're a Syracuse guy. So obviously you must be very happy with the, the sweet 16 run this year, uh, against all odds, honestly. Um, what, what fun memories do you have cheering on the orange at school? If any of them. I have a ton of fun memories. Um, <laughs> I probably remember the ones before school better than the ones during school, to be honest. Um, well, so I'm, I'm a third generation Syracuse guy. So I grew up a really big Syracuse fan too. So I was at the championship in 2003. That was a big moment, big memory, um, in new Orleans. Um, Growing up in, in New York, I got to go to the Big East tournament games as well. So I was, uh, I'd say one of the most memorable games was, uh, I was like right behind the basket at the six overtime game against UConn. And so just tons of, tons of memories. I, I love Syracuse basketball almost more than anything else there is. Um, I'm still disappointed about this season. I, I, I think you either win the championship or you don't. We didn't win it this year, but it was the, you know, the, 10 days that we got during March Madness was a lot of fun. I, I have a, uh, and I'm, I'm sure Will agrees with me, but we've got a bone to pick with you because Bryant, our alma mater, opened the, uh, opened the season against Syracuse and lost by one at the Dome. And Jim Beheim was, hit a few select words for Jared Grasso and the Bryant Bulldogs and did not make me happy. But it is what it is. It's basketball, man. He's, he's got some words that don't make me happy sometimes. Too. <laughs> I mean, Brian took the W a couple of years ago in lacrosse. They did. Syracuse, so they, they beat him at the dome, twenty fourteen. So we've got that on. There you go. Well, you guys had a. You guys had the the best faceoff man in the country back then, right? That's damn right. That is damn right. So a lot of good memories for Brian at the Carrier Dome too. But um, um, what's the best card that you've ever pulled? You know, what's your claim to fame in your collection? That um, maybe it's something that got you in. Maybe it's something that uh, you just. That, that a card that sticks out yeah um so my collection is so i have a huge collection on star stock that's all modern players on there i'm just like trading nonstop. i'm trying to find arbitrage opportunities and flip the players and take that money and buy more players then i have a collection of probably like 30 somewhere between 30 and 50 cards at home um and those, uh, you know, those are primarily basketball and golf. Those are the two sports I like to collect. So my favorite cards are actually a couple of my Tiger Woods cards. I have one of his uh, Sports Illustrated for Kids cards, which I really like. And I have a pre pretty good Carmelo Anthony collection as well. So I'd say those two players are my two favorite um, 
yeah. That, and, and then I'd say my favorite card of all time is actually the uh, 2008, 2009 Topps Chrome uh, Kobe card. It's got okay, LeBron, nice. Got LeBron guarding him um, in the post. And so it's super iconic. It's probably my favorite card. What's the most expensive card that has been traded on your platform? Um, we sold a Durant for about 15,000 a couple weeks ago. Um, and so I think, I think that's our, our, uh, highest item so far. And once these vintage cards come out, I mean, that's going to be a whole different ball game. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we, when we launched, uh, in last May, we got a lot of lower end cards and over the past, you know, 11 months or so our average, I'd say our average price per card has steadily just increased over time. And so now we have a lot more graded cards. We have a lot more high value cards than we did, you know, six months ago, or even like three months ago. Yeah. I think um, in your honest thoughts, do you think there's the, the, the more expensive cards are going to be driven from those vintage cards or um, you know, the, the modern players? Mostly vintage. Yeah. Um, just like a higher percent because you know, the vintage players that trade are the hall of famers and the all-stars and, um, and then there's a handful of modern guys that are, you can probably throw in the same class, like, you know, LeBron's average rookie card is, you know, 20 grand. Um, and so he's one of the goats. He can retire. He could be a vintage player already. He could retire and he's already done his career. So there's a handful and like Durant, you know, 15,000, there's a handful of people that are kind of in that world in the modern game. Um, but the higher ticketed items are usually vintage players. Do you feel there's ever going to be like an over-circulation with some of like the modern cards? Like how do we uh, differentiate the value for these like Giannis cards or LeBron cards, players that are going to have these long, long careers that will probably be all-stars every single year. And the way that they're still kind of creating uh, trading cards that like they'll just overproduce them. Do you see any issue with that? So you know, one of the reasons why we only accept rookie cards on Starstock is for that. It's like their IPO card, right? And the, the cards that come afterwards aren't as important. Um, there could be some, you know, there's definitely a component of that. Um, you know, although what I will say, like, one, you know, what we're building at Starstock could combat behavior like that. Before, you know, if you fast, if you rewind 25 years ago, there was a thousand cards that card needed to be owned by a thousand different people. Um, now with what we're trying to do with Starstock, we can enable one person to buy all a thousand cards at once. We're trying to consolidate them all into like a stock market where people can buy at scale. So the, if there was a thousand cards printed of, of a specific card, you know, there might not be a thousand buyers. There might only be 200 because a few people might buy 10 of them and a couple might buy a hundred themselves and a few might buy two or three. Um, and so I, I don't think that we'll run into that issue. I think, um, you know, the, uh, the manufacturers have been pretty mindful of that as well. Um, and then there's also cards that are much more scarce. They build cards, um, that say like one out of a, a hundred uh, on the front, or it says one out of one even. And so the, the, uh, the cards that are printed today look a lot different than the ones that were printed in the eighties and nineties. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's that's Scott Greenberg and that's Starstock. Um, Scott, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we definitely want to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners how they can sign up for Starstock, how they can start trading cards immediately and uh, where they can follow along with your content, uh, be it online, social media. The floor is yours. 
Yeah, uh, you can find us at Starstock Market on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can find us at www.starstock.com. Uh, pretty simple. You'll see a button to sign up there. You'll put in your name and, and you know your email, and then you're in. Um, and you can start trading right away. Or you can uh, follow the instructions to, to send in a submission. Awesome. Well, we appreciate the time, Scott. I'm actually going to go into my box of cards, try to find a pull a winner, maybe a couple winners, you know, I think we've got our project. For the we got the, yeah, weeks. we got, a, we got a good project for the next couple of weeks, but we appreciate the time. Thank you for sharing your story and all your advice and good luck with everything. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure coming on. I'll, I'll speak with you guys soon. And that was just Scott Greenberg of Starstock. Very, very cool interview. I mean, it really touched home as well, just being like growing up as, you know, collecting baseball cards, basketball cards, football cards, just collecting sports cards. I feel like majority of the kids in our demographic had that kind of passion as a kid and to see it now evolve so huge and evolve so quick, especially with the pandemic, you know, kind of stimulating that. It's very interesting to see a business model from that. And he, he was a super cool dude. I mean, saw a lot of similarities and, you know, I wish nothing but the best. And it's a, it's an interesting comp concept that we're definitely going to check out. It is. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're just kind of like, we keep getting that kick in the ass to go and look through our cards. I know. And, like, and that was, that was the kick in the ass. It was. Yeah. And, um, you know, very good idea. And, and I really liked his story of pitching to investors and, and kind of saying like, you know, he had to convince them that putting these all in a secure vault was a good idea because mm -hmm. it's, that's really tough. Like, I don't know if I could convince an investor, like I'm going to put all these cards in a vault, leave them there. And whatever happens, happens. So, that vault's worth money. It is. Yeah. <laughs> that vault is worth money. Because then if somebody robs a vault, then like, what do you do? Right. Yeah. He needs to be well insured, all that stuff. So um, really cool concept. And the fact that he was able to, to convince these folks like, you know, Trey Young and, uh, you know, the Twitch co-founder, BetMGM executives. I mean, those, those are all. Those are like big names. It's oh, not they are. like, I mean. It's not Joe Schmo. At the, the end of the day, money is money. So like wherever you get the money from, it doesn't matter. But to have that like celebrity backing or that like at least influential backing behind it is very important. Yeah, right? of course. Of course. Um, I think I'm doing this right. But you know what's very important? <laughs> Taking care of yourself. Yes, if you haven't seen on our Instagram and social media platforms or prior episodes, we have partnered with Goalie. Uh, that's G-O-L-I. They're goalie.com. They are the world's first apple cider vinegar gummy. So everyone has already talked about, you know, take your apple cider vinegar shots. When you become a young adult and you're, you're getting into these health and trend models, everyone's like, take your apple cider vinegar shots. It'll help with all this stuff. And then when you go to the supermarket and buy these apple cider vinegar they suck. It just tastes bad. It hurts your stomach. It corrodes your teeth. They're like, don't take too much. Don't take too little, yada, yada, yada. Well, Goldie has created a solution and put their same health benefits into a nice flavorful gummy. So with two gummies, you get the same health benefits as one apple cider vinegar shot. They're gluten-free, they're vegan, non-GMO, you name it. They have healthy metabolic energy, um, helps with your immune function, healthy heart benefits, overall good health. They are just the real too. antioxidants. It is the real deal for a vitamin supplement, and we are partnering with them to give you a discount for those gummies. We just got ours. We've been taking them for quite some time as well. Super flavorful. They have some great stuff as well. Use these gummies. They're the real deal. 
we are giving you that discount too. If you go to goalie.com, that's G-O-L-I.com, use the code the BBB pod. That's the BBB pod. We're going to give you 10% off. Right off the bat, you can get a one-time bottle purchase. You can get a three-month supply. You can get a year supply. Whatever you need to do, they have it on there. But like I said, use the code thebbvpod at goalie.com. Get yourself 10% off. Let's talk some balls. NFL drafts coming up on Thursday this week. Thursday, right? Thursday. Thursday. Um, a lot of buzz. There's a lot of buzz. A lot of buzz, for especially a COVID year, too. Yeah. Where it wasn't like not every you know, college football team played. They had the option for players to opt out to a um, lot, a lot of buzz, which is very, very odd. But I'm happy about it. Uh, I'm, yeah, no, I'm nothing, happy no complaints. About it. I think um, this has been one of the many years that the number one pick is pretty much already predetermined. I mean, you have Trevor Lawrence talking about how he's going to donate to to Jacksonville charities. Which well, because I, like when they had his... Trevor Lawrence had his wedding and twenty thousand dollars from fans' money. Yeah, Jacksonville fans' money came to his and wedding registry. And you which can is call like, it, is that tampering? I don't. It's I don't not know. tampering. I mean, I mean, it's very generous by the book. It might be, but that's not tampering. Like, I mean, they they know they're gonna pick him. And yeah, Trevor Lawrence is already, I'm sure, looking at properties in Jacksonville, and because they're, they're gonna take him. I'm sure they called him. I'm sure they said, you know, hey, you're our guy. Cool. And um, it's looking like the number pick, the number two picks, also solidified in uh, Zach Wilson. Yeah, pretty much. And so, so those two. It, now, I don't know when the last time that like two quarterbacks were picked uh, back, back to back in the first, you know, one and two picks. Uh, we'd have to. I'm, I'm too lazy to fact check that right now. But um, can we get three in a row? Yeah, that, that's the the big theme of this draft is where are the rest of the quarterbacks going to fall in? Because you have Justin Fields from Ohio State, and then you have Mac Jones from uh, from Alabama, you and the Forty Niners, North Dakota State. Like the Forty ers did not own that pick. That was the Texans pick. That was owed to the Dolphins for the the um the Tunsil trade, the O lineman yeah. Laramie Tunsil, and they traded out of that to get more capital. But so the clearly the 49ers who have Jimmy Garoppolo, which people forget two years ago, he brought them to a Super Bowl. Yeah, he did. Not two years. I think it was two uh, years two ago. Two years ago, yeah. yeah. And they're all year and a half, maybe? No, it was two years two, ago. Two years ago, yeah. It was uh 49ers Chiefs. That was that Super Bowl in twenty nine. Mm. That was twenty twenty. 2020. It was literally less than a yeah, year two and a half se- ago. Two seasons ago. Yeah. But so I mean Jimmy Garoppolo, the pride of the pride of the Patriots, brought them to a Super Bowl. You could really call him the pride of the Patriots. You though? could say it was more of the defense, but neither here nor there. Now you have guys like the coach, Kyle Shanahan's like, can you commit to Jimmy Garoppolo as your coach? I can't commit to anybody even living till Sunday. I don't know who's yeah, on their Sunday roster. <laughs> That's sus. That was real weird. And the, the now the conversation's coming out where they are now in on a quarterback. If you're going to trade up to three, you're in on a quarterback because the only other option that you would trade for is an O-lineman, which are pretty solidified at the 49ers, and a tight end. And you already have George Kittle. You wouldn't go for Kyle Pitts. They're drafting a quarterback. But there's some divide in that locker, in that in that um, franchise. You have scouts that are leaning towards Trey Lance, the quarterback at um, North Dakota State, who only played one season and one game this year before um, you know FCS football had to suspend. They didn't they didn't play towards the spring. Then you have other people. I think Kyle Shannon himself's like, I want Mac Jones. Yeah talented quarterback out of Alabama. And then Justin Fields also is that option, Ohio State. I mean, very prominent name. So 
It'll be interesting to see what they do. But for some reason, and I don't know why, because, and granted, I'm not a college football expert. I'm just a fan. I did not think this was the strongest quarterback draft. You know, it's not like a couple years ago where it was Baker, Lamar, Josh Allen, and so on. I don't know that strong is the right word. I just think deep. It's not a deep quarterback. I don't think it's deep, but you have all these people. Like, I'm a Giants fan. It's very, very known about that, but. I'm a Giants fan, and like we don't know what's going to happen at 11 because I don't know how many teams are going to trade up for quarterbacks. That's the thing. Because you have, obviously, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Those are your one and two. It's pretty solidified. Justin Fields, Trey Lance, uh, Mac Jones. That's five right there oh. total. Then you also have guys like the kid from Florida, Mississippi State. Like There are some players out there that everyone's like, that's our quarterback for the future, and it's like... Do we have that much film on them to say they're quarterbacks to the future? I don't know. Yeah, and that's why. So 11 is going to be a question, and 15 is going to be a question. And those are both of our teams, the Giants and the Patriots, respectively. So let's talk about some – we could sit here and break down the draft for hours, but that's not who we are. We're not college football experts. So let's just talk about who we want to see the New York Giants and the New England Patriots take. So the Giants have the 11th pick. What do you think they're going to do? Or what would you like to see them do? There's so many things that they can do. They had a very, very good offseason in terms of they re-signed Leonard Williams, who was their star defensive rusher. They brought in Kenny Galladay, a wide receiver one. And I'd say arguably the best wide receiver in the market, right? Arguably the best wide receiver in the market. Actually, I think that's not even a question. He's been hands down phenomenal. And they also brought in, besides some death players, Adoree Jackson, who was their cornerback too. All huge holes that they filled. Great, great stuff. At the 11th pick, I don't know who they're going to go with. In my mind, the team's biggest holes are offensive line, linebacker, and then you can add depth anywhere, whether it's pass rusher, cornerback, receiver, whatever it might be. At 11, I think it's going to be best available player they should pick. My dream scenarios would be either a Pinay Sewall, the offensive lineman out of Oregon. There's no way he slips, though. I don't know. It depends on all these people that are jumping for quarterback, right? Or they get blindsided by like, ooh, flash the receiver. Yeah. Which I'll talk about in a second. (laughs) Or... Defensive cornerstone in Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. Mm-hmm. Those are my two, like, I would love. What I think happens, they either draft Rashawn Slater, who mm-hmm. is the number two related offensive lineman out of Northwestern. They draft one of the three receivers in the big three, either Jamar Chase out of LSU or the duo out of LS, um, Alabama in Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. I would love... Any of the three, I mean, put them in into that offense with Kenny Holiday, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, lights out. Kyle Pitts would also be fucking phenomenal too, but I don't think he's... Who knows? He I could don't either think, be like 20th or 1st. I right? don't think he slips, but Kyle yeah. Pitts, like if Kyle Pitts somehow falls to 11, grab him. So one of those three receivers... I also wouldn't hate if they ended up with one of the two cornerback positions in either Patrick Sertain, who is from Alabama, or J.C. Horn from South Carolina. 
Again, the reason I am offering all of these picks is last year the Giants were in number four. There wasn't many options to choose at number four. Now the Giants at 11. I don't know what the rest of the league is going to look like in terms of who's trading up for what. And even it's like, it might not even be for a quarterback. It might be teams like I'm trading up for that offensive lineman, or I'm trading up for Kyle Pitts. I'm trading up for Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. I don't know who's going to fall to 11. So these are the people I'm happy with. So my two picks and my long-winded answer would be either Micah Parsons from Penn State on the defense or Devontae Smith, the wide receiver from Alabama. Yeah, I mean, for the Giants, it's like if Smith's on the board, like the buyer's remorse of taking somebody else than Devontae Smith, who won the Heisman last year. Like you, you, I, I, My point is you like have to take the Heisman Trophy guy if he's there. Yeah, and I mean, I it's think. tough because I've sat through... This was the first year, like I always do the pro football focus mock drafts powered by Amazon. And they do a, they do it. No, not an ad read. Not an ad read, but <laughs> they do a good job because they like, they put in like the human impact of it, of like, whether it's how many teams are focused on like the player value or the position value or team need. They do a good job, like actually creating a very good system. It's kind of when like, Madden simulates 10,000 games and this who wins the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. They do a similar thing. I've done it probably a hundred times, no exaggeration, and I've never had the same combination. Mm. Like there is always like, I'm like, holy shit, Kyle Pitts fell to 11. That's impossible when everyone's saying Kyle Pitts is the best player in the draft. Right. So and he could be, which is scary. And he could be. So I have no idea what's going to happen. The Giants seem to draft the best player available. It all depends on who the first 10 teams pick. Yeah, I agree. Um, I will switch over to the 15th pick now. The New England Patriots have that one. I don't think they stay at 15. Uh, I don't know. If anything, they'll trade down. Isn't that crazy? See, I think they trade up. It's just, I, I, no, I get it. I definitely get it. And would I want a quarterback? Sure. I, I would. We've talked about Cam Newton on this show quite a bit, and I've been very clear. We could probably go back a few episodes ago and talk about what I thought about Cam Newton. And my thoughts right now are, it's scary, but he's the best option available. You know, I, I'd rather have him than anybody else that's available right now and like openly being shopped or whatever, maybe besides Jimmy G, but whatever. Um, Who might be available. I mean, I guess he is available. Yeah, exactly. Um Mac Jones is getting thrown around a bit, you know, because with at that point, Fields and Lance are going to be very gone. Um, or they might not be. I'm literally like... <laughs> or I, they might not they, be. They might not there's be. Like, like, there's so many question marks at this draft. I and, don't know. And it's crazy because the CBS NFL mock draft, which we're looking at right now, it's kind of like how I feel. Like with Fields and Lance both gone, the Patriots are able to land a potential franchise quarterback in Jones without giving up any assets to do it, right? I get it. I definitely get it. But here's the thing with this team... They, for so long, have been the most inconsistent team on defense. For as long as I have rooted for the New England Patriots, they have been beyond inconsistent. Uh, I mean, literally, you name it. Secondary, um, linebacker, everything, right? So the edge has to be a priority. Like, the edge absolutely has to be a priority. Chase Winovich is good. He's not cutting it, though, by himself, right? So... Give me another Michigan man in Quiddy Pie, Rhode Islander, um, 6'4", 275. 
I mean, I'm loving Quiddy Pie. Absolutely loving him. Uh, he's, I think he had 50 tackles at Michigan last year. Bunch of sacks. This guy's awesome. Uh, they need some help. Unclear how Dante Hightower is going to come back after opting out. The Pats need some defensive help. You know, I'm all for Cam Newton trying to figure it out if, you know, if the Patriots are going to throw the right weapons around them. And it looks like they are, right? They're not phenomenal wide receivers, but it's like Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. They're good. They're names. They're, they're names. names. They're, but they I mean, like, passes. but Cam Newton strives around the two tight end system. Sure. Not even a two tight end system, a tight end. I mean, his. Just having one good his tight end. Primarily, his primarily his primary target was Greg Olson all those years to yeah, have like, true. now you have two that's very a really good, good point actually. to have two very good tight ends. Like he, he has the foundation around him. It'll be interesting though. If the the Patriots say, okay, this is us working with Cam Newton for another year, a mobile esque type quarterback that doesn't have a strong arm. Why don't we fit his mold and try to draft somebody like him, i.e. a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. Yeah, Mac Jones is more of a traditional pocket-style quarterback where you can get more of a rusher, or you can look into free agency, or you can end up with Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, that's the thing. I don't. Like, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of like. I think Cam's the best option. Like, I'd rather have him than any of these. I guys. mean, yeah, no- and honestly, even Jimmy G. Like Jimmy G, you kind of have to reteach him the system. It won't take too long. That's fine, but. And it's not to say Cam executed the system very well either last year, but I mean, two tight ends will help him. Uh, one deep threat, well, actually, two deep threats, because Kendrick Bourne's kind of a deep threat. I'm thinking more of Aguilar, who can use his speed. Um, he's been traditionally a deep threat everywhere he's been. I mean, he was um, he was Carson Wentz's deep threat, Nick Foles' deep threat, and then last year he was Derek Carr's deep threat. So I'm all for it. Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry should compliment him well. Give me Quiddy Pie. That's my. It's not a bad thing. That's pick. my two cents. I want Quiddy Pie on the New England Patriots. Bring him home to the 401. He could have a nice apartment near us. Yeah, he would Get him probably, back he, he probably would live in Providence. And what an awesome story he is to his family, like his mother trying to escape, like, you know, like uh, very military present environments in West Guinea. I mean, that that is horrible. And the fact that they were over to over or able to overcome what they went through is it's astonishing. Uh, great feel-good story. And uh, the kid's been through a ton at Michigan and at home. So this is a guy I want to root for forever. Like, this is a guy that I want to throw in the Patriots uniform and be like, that's that's my dude. You mm-hmm. know? Um, that's what I want. And, I, I, like, let's be real. The Patriots' defense is not, like, it's it's good. I mean, they made did they did make upgrades in Matthew Judon. Yeah, Matthew Judon's gonna be a good upgrade. They brought back Kyle Van Noy, who's also I mean, he's a name. Yeah, and the, here's the thing: like, as good as they get, this might put him over the edge if he pans it, it out. Would. Yeah. This would be like you know that this would put him into that top five defense, I think, to be realistic. And the offense kind of just does what it does at that point. Um, Gilmore still up in the air. The secondary kind of still up in the air. I don't know. Maybe they'll find a gem in the second round or something like that. Um, that's what I think. I, I, I'm really loving Quiddy Pie. 6'4", 275 pounds. Like, that's a big man, and he's got some speed. Really good pass rusher. The scouts love him. I think he's a first-rounder, definitely. So, we'll have to see. Love the kid. Um, that's football. You got any more football tidbits or no? We, no, we just here? looking forward to the draft. Yeah, for Finally. sure. It's just The draft is one of those things where it's like, just get it over with because I'm tired of mock draft 9.7. Like, right. just, just get it <laughs> yeah. over with. Yep. 
Um, baseball happenings. Baseball's in full swing. We just had a no hitter the other night that was uh, not technically ruled a no hitter. And actually, Bullshit. we have that would be the third no hitter of the year if it went down. Um, Carlos Rendon and yeah, Carlos Rodon and then um, Joe Musgrove. Joe, yeah, Musgrove Joe Musgrove from the Padres. Um, speaking of the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Trevor Bauer getting into a little bit of beef this week. And that's a matchup that you, you know, all baseball fans look forward to. It's two of the best at what they do. Two of the most prominent figures in baseball right now for different reasons. They're going at it. Tatis homers off Trevor Bauer. Bauer, you know, he plays this role of, you know, that's good. It's good for the game, all this stuff. And then he accuses Fernando Tatis of peeking at the signs. Yeah. That is not what I expected from Trevor Bauer. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know how Trevor Bauer is going to react after a little pre-context, like pre-context, pre <laughs> precursor. Yeah, precursor, whatever. <laughs> so I guess pre-context. Trevor Bauer signed with the Dodgers, obviously, and was starting to close one eye while pitching. Yeah, and, and it was kind of just like his mechanics. He's a quirky guy. Yada yada yada. It was a whole lot of like. There was so much to it that no one really knew. But either way, he closed his eyes when he would throw certain pitches. Well, Fernando Tatis slammed a home run against him and covered his eye while he was trotting the bases. Kind of just playing around, whatever. After the game, when the Padres-Dodgers finished that game, and, and that series has been kind of like batting heads, Bauer was just like, no, it's fun. I love it. Blah, 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 blah. I'm all about it. I think batters should be able to enjoy their home runs. Well, then it turns out that Tatis supposedly looked down at the catcher to see the sign, and then Bauer got all political and got pissed off and bullshit. Okay. First of all, we just watched it. The pitch is a little outside, too. So. It's a little outside. I think it was a little bit of a stretch call. Bauer is very big into social media, so probably just saw what everyone was commenting and was like, oh my god, I guess Tatis really did look outside, look at the pitch. I think I liked his answer in the beginning where it's just like, hey, I think this is fun for the game because it is fun for, fun for the game. No one gives a shit about baseball because two weeks ago, everyone was like, taking off the umpire's heads for shitty calls. I mean, there was there was a stretch for a full week of like somehow uh the Mets player was a Conforto leaned in for yeah, the pitch and got hurt, it got hit and that was like a walk off and like all of these bullshit strike calls like the MLB was about to be on the very very hot seat. And baseball is like, this isn't fun, this isn't fun, and now it's starting to become fun, and Trevor Bauer is just like that quirky dude. Now he's kind of like, oh, well, sign stealing's bullshit, and like the game needs to be fixed. I don't know. I don't really think he said, like, I'm not sure that that was his He got pissy at the end. He did, but I mean, like, now I, I'm going to go on record and say I'm not a Trevor Bauer fan. You know, when he went to the Dodgers and pulled that shit with the Mets, I unfollowed him, right? I unfollowed him. I unfollowed Rachel Luba, you know, that's... I respect what they do. They do a very good job at it. Just not my cup of tea. It's just not content that I want to engage with personally. But stuff like that, like, you know, stirring the pot a little bit. I can't believe I'm like physically saying this right now, but I get it. Like I get why Trevor Bauer's doing this. And I would probably do the same thing if I was in his shoes. You know, yeah. he's, he's got a brand to uphold. He's got to, he's got to talk his shit because he knows it's good for baseball. 
and he knows that pissing people off when it comes to the most exciting guy in baseball in Tatis, which, you know, you ask Mike Trout, you ask Bryce Harper, you ask, uh, I think they asked Aaron Hicks the other day too. They all said Tatis is easily, I don't know, name. what a weird, did you what see a that? random ass did you see name the video that they put like, I love MLB. Aaron Hicks, but he's boring as yeah, fuck. But they put oh, him on, on MLB. They're like, they asked a bunch of dudes, who's the most exciting guy in baseball? And it's like Trout, Harper, the guys you want to see. And then it's just Aaron Hicks being like, yeah, you know, Tatis is the man. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing yeah. out there, buddy? You're hitting 180. He did, like, he shut did your pimp mouth. two home runs in a row. Good for him. I don't fucking care. Shut the up. Yankees are 9-12. Shut, shut up. <laughs> shut up. I, they're 9-12. and 12 you're, they a, start winning. you're a softie. Don't hate on Aaron Hicks. He's the best switch hitter in the league. You just said, what's Aaron Hicks doing in that group? I mean, it's not like, <laughs> I'm not saying true. I'm not saying Aaron Hicks is an MVP, but he's yeah. still like a best... He's the best switch hitter in the league. But baseball's getting really exciting. It's heating up, bottom line. Um, Shohei Otani on the Angels before we, before we get going to the Knicks here. Wild stat. First pitcher to start a game while leading the entire league in homers since Babe Ruth. And that's got to be more than 100 years ago, actually. And... With all the ways that the game has changed, it feels like Otani is a quite literal diamond in the rough because this man is one of the best hitters in the league while also being one of the best pitchers in the league. It's crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to put my hand up and, and say that I now respect Otani. Um, I was a little salty when he was this highly touted prospect out of Japan, decided to sign with the Angels over the Yankees, whatever. He had a slow coming up, you know, a couple home runs here and there and a couple hundred mile per hour pitches here and there. But now that in his third full year, fully consistent, he's the real fucking deal. I mean, he is lights out. Anytime you see him either up at bat or pitching, it's like this guy's going to put on a show. And good for the Angels, honestly. It's one of those things where... And we're going to talk about the Knicks in a little bit. And this is basketball and baseball. You can't really compare apples and oranges. But LeBron James tweeted, everything is better when the Knicks are doing well in terms of the NBA. And I can say the same thing about the Angels because Mike Trout is the best player that the MLB has seen in decades. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike Trout can't do it himself. He needs another name to help bring up the Angels, and Otani is that name. I mean, Mike Trout, whether he's hitting 50 home runs a year or doing all this incredible stuff in the outfield or whatever he's doing with his bat, his name can only carry so far. You need another number two guy to help bring up the Angels, and Otani is that guy. I hope the Angels make the playoffs. I hope the Angels do well. I mean, I do feel bad. How could you not? I mean, they have a very rootable team because it's like Rendon, sort of, yeah. But, I mean, besides those two guys, um, I'm looking at guys like... Like Joe Madden, honestly, that's managing the team. Like, he's a very rootable guy. He took the Cubs out of the fucking gutter. Like... This is a team that you just want to do well. You want to see Mike I Trout. I hope them get do well. I want I I mean, like, if it's not with the Angels, I just want Mike Trout to do well because like he But you kind of want it to be with the Angels. You want it almost. to be with the Angels, but it's like he is the best player that has walked this earth in, I mean At least thirty years. Right? I mean, who who would you compare him to? 
it's kind of impossible. I mean, I like know, actually, we're, maybe even like forty, fifty years. No, I'm I'm talking about guys like, like Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle, <laughs> yeah. So good for Otani. I mean, like he is again the biasy aside because I would have loved him as a Yank. That's some cool stuff. You can't get that. You you can't get that variety of and that versatility of being a star-studded pitcher as well as a hot bat. Good for him. Yeah, I mean. You look at guys over the years, and the only guy that I can think of that really even, you know, you have to throw in the conversation is Barry Bonds over the past couple of decades, and that's because just how how many accolades he had. I mean, he eclipsed the 756 mark of homers. I think he finished with, like, what, 771 or something like that, and you got to figure Mike Trout's on his way, but what a, what a multi-tooled player that he is and that he's become. Um, really cool stuff, and... Come a long way from talking about Otani. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Otani, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see what this dude can do. Second full year of baseball. Can't wait. Uh, and there's probably going to be a lot more because he's so young. Let's talk about the Knicks before we, before we get going here. Um, the New York Knicks. Who would have thought they're the most exciting team in New York right now after years of misery? They're back. Fourth in the... Fourth in the Eastern Conference. I got Knicks fever, baby. <laughs> I got real, Knicks fever. Only the real ones know that movie. Uh, the other guys, obviously. Um, what a job they've been doing. Tom Thibodeau taking them out of the gutter and getting contributions from a bunch of different guys. Yeah, I mean, there are defense wins championships, and you always hear that term in football, but basketball sense. Will the Knicks win a championship? No, but they're going to make make the playoffs. They're going to make themselves a name again. They're going to earn this respect. The Knicks are back on the map, and it's because a combination of different things. I mean, first off, Tom Thibodeau, he is a coach that is, he is hard-nosed. He is a hard, tough coach, but look at his, look at his past resume. I mean, coach of the year, he brought the Bulls back to respect after, you know, post-Jordan era. He tried to do stuff with the Timberwolves, and that was just like a combination of personalities. He comes to the Knicks, respectable and hardworking. Julius Randle has recreated Julius his Julius Randle's my king. He I mean, Julius Randle is like no disrespect to anybody else in the league. He is an all-pro. I mean, in this nine-game winning streak, which might be 10. I mean, they're playing the Suns tonight, which is actually... They're up by 11 and a half as we're recording this. Yeah, so hopefully and I mean, that it is a win. could be a 10-game win streak. He's averaging 30-plus points a game. He has been lights out. R.J. Barrett, no sophomore slump for him. Emmanuel Quickly has been one of the top promising Kentucky rookies man. of the year. Derrick Rose has been a catalyst off the bench, providing like pre-All-Star, I mean... His MVP form back. Reggie Bullock's been good. Nerlens Noel has been solid. I mean, this team is fucking lights out. And I'm so excited. They're the fourth seed right now. They're on the best win streak in the NBA. I love everything they're doing. I am all for it. I'm not expecting much in the playoffs. I'm just happy. I don't care. I'm just happy they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> they're back, and they they just need to keep winning. I mean, Taj. I'm looking at a picture of Derek Taj Rose Gibson. Tom Gibson. Tom, I mean, Taj Gibson came back, and it's like him, Tibbs, and D Rose. That is like 2012, 2011 Chicago Bulls. Put like this that's fucking in the loop. sick. You got to put that, that in the loop. That is sick. That's nuts. Um, that's and really they have two first round picks this year. 
with a very deep trap. I'm excited. Yeah, this will be really fun. Um, the Knicks are good. I, I'm very happy. Come a long way from Melo. Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out around him. And they, this is the most round Knicks team I think we've seen in, in quite a bit. And that will conclude our ball segment. Let's go into some positivity corner now. Yeah, so in honor of me buying a bike, shout out me, a bike <laughs> a weird owner. Flex. <laughs> weird flex. In but honor of me buying a bike. I mean, Congrats. not many people buy bikes nowadays, but I bought a bike. Yeah. Uh, shout out to me. Shout out to Facebook Marketplace. But the French government is planning to give citizens who want to trade in their old cars for a $3,000 grant to purchase a bike or an electric bike. Here is the news for that. We should have just moved to France. A notion has <laughs> no polyvou français no je m'appelle Guillaume now. That sounds uh, good enough. The notion has been approved by lawmakers at the National Sem- uh, Assembly to help cut the emission cuts with all the global warming news that's going on. They're hoping to provide this grant, which you can spend up to three thousand dollars on a family set of bikes or electric bikes. You can trade in your car and then obviously purchase these bikes that will help limit the emission costs. They're trying to do this as well as, you know, create less traffic in the state or the country rather and help just promote healthy living. I'm all about it. Um, In a city like Providence, you can bike around, whether it's something quick for the grocery store for a long health endeavors. It's a great feat. If I got $3,000 for my bike that I bought for $40 on Facebook Marketplace, I would appreciate that. But neither here nor there. A stimmy is fine. Thank you, Uncle Joe. Other than that, I think it's a great cause by the French market, the French government, and all cool stuff going on in Europe. Yeah, very cool stuff. So you booking your ticket tonight? I was going to say something inappropriate, but we're going to pass on it. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. Um, I need a bike. I think, like I was saying today, you're, you were the motivation that I needed to go look at Facebook Marketplace for a bike. Providence is a very bikeable city, too. Very bikeable city. Pretty flat. Like, you got a couple of hills if you want to challenge yourself, you know. Um, cool stuff. I mean, the only, like, more bikeable city, probably Boston and New York. That's really it. Yeah. So, um so cool stuff from France. Uh, that is our show this week. That is episode 48. You can find us on social media. Again, go buy some goalie apple cider vinegar gummies. Go to goalie.com. Use the code THEBBBPOD. We'll give you 10% off. Exciting stuff for next week as well. Stay tuned with us, folks. That's Will, and I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy.